0: pray all this in Jesus name amen all right got that. so let's let's keep being a church of prayer and, and lifting those prayers up and praying for the people around our, our country that are just hurting with that but with all of that I'm thankful that we're gonna be spending some time in the letter of first John as as this letter is really gonna help us be the people and be the church that God has created us to be people who who don't walk in darkness but we walk in light That we're not people who walk in sin, but walk with Jesus for the glory of God and the good of the people of this world. And we're going to get into this next week as we get into verses 5 through 10, where Jesus is just going to say, like, here's what it means to live in the light. We don't walk in darkness. As we follow Jesus, we walk with him in light and the darkness and the sin is what we fight off and push off by the power and the presence of, of Jesus. And so I really believe that this is like actually like a, a very timely teaching series that's gonna help us a lot move from hypocrisy to truth. All right, that this is gonna be one of those teaching series. I just need to know as we work through this letter of 1 John, like it's gonna be one of those teaching series that's gonna, it's gonna push us and it's gonna be really good. But 1 John... All right, is actually, surprisingly enough, written by a guy named John, all right? And if you know your Bible, all right, there's, there's several different Johns throughout the Bible, but this is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John. And while the Gospel of John and the letter of 1 John have the same author, you need to understand that they're, they're very different, all right? And as we get into this, I want you to know that the Gospel of John is really just the story of Jesus, but the letter of 1 John is what the story of Jesus does in the life of people who believe it, All right, so this letter is very much gonna cause us, it's gonna call us to action. It's gonna call out what we or call us to live in light of what we say we believe, because the truth that you really believe is the truth that you actually live out. And so as we go through this, like these words, doctor I'm just telling you this, these words are gonna be challenging. It's gonna be a great challenge to you. It's gonna cause you to really think about your faith. It's gonna cause you to think about the life that you're actually living, that John is gonna say some very confrontational things to us. But here's how you need to perceive this and understand this and receive this from John. All right, John is not kind of like just an angry preacher, a young dude that just is trying to prove himself and he's not yelling like hellfire and brimstone. Okay, this is not John. All right, John is a very old man as he writes this. All right, and so picture John just kind of like an old grandpa. An old grandpa sitting on a rocking chair, he's around the fire with his grandkids, and as a good grandfather does, he's speaking with love. And he's teaching and he's saying things that need to be said, but he's doing it for the good of the kids, out of love. Okay, This is what 1 John is going to be like. Hard truths coming from a loving grandfather who just wants to help us. And so here's where we're gonna start okay i want you to meet this guy named john before we listen to what he says okay and here's what i'll tell you when god became a man and jesus christ entered into human history he chose some friends do you guys know that we call them the 12 disciples but these were actually jesus's friends and when we look at these friends we kind of see just a really mixed bag of friends that these were far from perfect friends right one of these friends ended up betraying jesus another denied jesus and abandoned jesus we see another yet they were he just doubted jesus and distanced himself from jesus but out of this group of 12 friends there was one there was one who is jesus's most faithful friend a friend that stood by jesus like no one else had in the darkest moments of his life he was there and his name is john the disciple whom jesus loved that if you read through the gospel of john all right five times in that gospel john is called the the one that jesus loved that john and jesus had this unique special friendship and so i love this that this letter that we're going to be studying for the next 10 weeks was written by jesus's most faithful friend his best friend but here's john's story okay as jesus begins his ministry he's walking along the sea of galilee we see this in places like mark chapter one but he's walking along the sea of galilee he sees two brothers James and John, he's probably likely known them to some degree from his past, but he looks at these two guys and he says, hey, come follow me. And Mark records that these guys immediately just get up and they start following Jesus. They leave everything behind, their business, their family, literally their nets, they just leave everything and they follow Jesus. And I want you to know that this is really just John's life story, that he follows Jesus faithfully and continually chooses Jesus over everything and everyone else throughout his life. And in this, doxa, he gives us a picture of what it means to be a Christian. And so maybe you're newer to the church, you're newer to the Bible, you're newer to Christianity and wondering, like, what is Christianity really all about? It's this, it's choosing Jesus over everything and anyone. It's Jesus over everything. This is what it's all about. In John, he models this for us. And as we look at his life, he's like a really interesting and honestly like an encouraging case study for us all right because as we listen to john in this letter we're meeting him as a really old man this really old guy that's been following jesus for many many years and as we examine the bible and we get to know guys like john right we meet them as they have progressed over many many years where they're just way more godly than they were at the beginning and it's important right as we look at the people that we don't just examine where someone is, but where they came from and the progress that has been made by the grace of God along the way. And so as we read 1 John and we hear from John, we're going to read about this really loving, elderly, kind man. But here's what you need to know. That's where we find John as he writes this letter, but that's not where John started. And there's a theological term called sanctification, sanctification. All right. And, and when people tend to think about the Christian life, we kind of think, tend to forget about sanctification. Many people, when you think about the Christian life, you think about salvation and glorification. So you think, okay, the Christian life, it's about coming to Jesus and then going to heaven. And you forget about this huge section in the middle, where is where you live your life here on this earth. And there's a purpose to your life here on this earth. And sanctification is that process until you die. And sanctification is really this, is that you become a Christian, and then you, just as John did, you walk with Jesus in friendship throughout the rest of your life. And day by day, moment by moment, week by week, year by year, bit by bit, you become more and more like Jesus until one day you stand before him in eternity, perfected, in glory. This is what Paul talks about. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, where he talks about the goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Christ. All right, this is, this is sanctification, that we are all works in progress. All right, And this is what the Christian life is all about. It's about progression, not necessarily perfection. It's about the perfection of Christ, but the progression of us. And so our life following Jesus is just day by day taking another step, taking another step in obedience, becoming more and more like Jesus. And some days, I don't know if you're anything like me, but it feels like you're taking three steps forward, but then maybe two steps back right? That sin is a very real part of our lives and we mess up all the time, but we're still moving forward. And this is something that I would encourage you in your connection group this week to talk about. Answer that question, like how has your life changed since you came to know Jesus? Like what has changed about you since you've been walking with Jesus? And as you share that, as you remember that, there's going to be people around you that you can, are going to be encouraged by that. That you're gonna stand there and you're gonna say, I'm not who I wanna be, I'm not who I need to be, I'm not who I hope to be, but by the grace of God, I'm not who I once was, and I am that I am, and I'm marching forward into the newness that is Jesus in me. And those people can be encouraged around you, but then also worship, wonder, awe, and praise can well up in you as you remember the work of Jesus in your life. Talk about that at your connection groups. All right, because John, he has changed greatly. All right, and we get glimpses of how John started throughout the Gospels. For example, in, in Mark chapter 3, this is what it says of John. John, the son of Zebedee, and John or James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, That is, the sons of thunder. All right, so this is John, the sons of thunder. Now, we need to talk about this, because you don't just get the nickname sons of thunder for no reason, right? I mean, there's a, there's a reason why he gets this. But this is how Jesus' disciples, James and John, they were called the sons of thunder and Jesus actually gave them this nickname. And so what we need to understand about James and John is that they were just kinda rough guys, right? I I think about me growing up in the 90s when WWF was real big, like Hacksaw Jim Duggan, right? These, these, These like wrestling duos that were just crazy dudes this is kind of like them, or, or like James and John, they're maybe this like overly confident, like super charismatic fraternity guys, right? They just think that they have it all together and they just are really prideful. These are jo- James and John, right? They, they never back down from confrontation. More than li- likely, they were kind of looking for one. They could be very assertive, very aggressive, very insensitive, and as we read throughout the Gospels, we see how this nickname actually plays out in John's life. You know, for example, in on one occasion in Luke chapter nine, When there was was some people in a village of Samaria that were not responding to Jesus' teaching, they weren't responding to the gospel, they were mocking him, they were living in very ungodly, sinful ways, and James and John, they're walking with Jesus, and James and John, they look over and they say, hey Jesus, I know this is ticking you off, here's what I'm going to do, you want me to pray and I'll just rain down fire from heaven and we can just consume them all, right? And Jesus is like, bro, what is wrong with you? chill out right the sons of thunder another time in Mark chapter 10 when Jesus was speaking of his like impending death about how he would be betrayed and mocked and beaten and eventually killed James and John in that moment responding to Jesus saying I'm gonna be killed they say hey Jesus we want you to do for us whatever we ask and we want to sit on your right side and your left side in your glory Once again, just a totally weird thing to say to Jesus when he says, I'm gonna die, right? That would be the equivalent of you going up to your best friend and being like, hey, I'm dying, I got a week to live, and them looking at you and be like, oh, really, bummer. Can I have your car, right? (laughs) Like, it's just like, why would you do that? But this is James and John. They were just hopelessly human and remarkably unremarkable. But here is what encourages me, and here's what encouraged me so much this week. God transformed these men. And at the end of their lives, these men who were known as sons of thunder became known for something else: that James was the first apostle to be martyred, and John became known as the apostle of love. And here's why I tell you this: Doxa, the reality is that we all start in a place like James and John with Jesus. For some of you, maybe you were the son of anger, the daughter of addiction. The son and daughter of pride. I think about Rob Warren, the son of drunkenness and womanizing. We all start somewhere. We all have a past. We're all sinful. But God, He changes. And I think one of the reasons that the Bible gives us a story like John and so many others is to give us hope that if God could change this man, then God could change anyone, that God could change me and that God could change you, amen? Like this is what the gospel does. That's why we love to celebrate baptisms, that's why we love to have people on the stage like sharing their stories, because it's the reality that God saves and he changes and Jesus redeems and makes us new. This is what he's all about. And so John is a man who has been dramatically changed by Jesus. And as we consider his ministry, All right, John lives to be roughly around 90 to 100 years old. That's when he's writing this letter, and he's well known for being loving. And as we go through these five chapters of 1 John, we're going to see the word love used around 40 different times. John is repeatedly going to say, love one another, love one another. And part of John's legacy, along with being loving and promoting love, is that John wrote much of the New Testament. right, God used him in great ways. He wrote five books of the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John to convert sinners. He wrote the letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John to confirm the saints. And then he wrote the book of Revelation to coronate the Savior. And even more, as I mentioned, this is a guy who was close friends with Jesus. So close that if you look at places like John chapter 19, as Jesus is dying on the cross, the only one of his guys... That is there is John and he's standing next to Jesus's mother and Jesus looks down from the cross and he says mother John John take care of her you don't just do that to anybody you don't say hey take care of my mom unless you really know that person this is Jesus's best friend and as he's his best friend as he's writing this letter he's writing many years after Jesus has died and John wants to tell people who Jesus is because people were confused about the identity and the work of jesus since his death and resurrection and i would submit to you that john's day of writing this letter is much like our day here in madison where everyone has an opinion and thought of who jesus is and as john wrote this letter all right there were many heretical movements that began to appear and sweep through the church these false teachings were emerging and they were causing people to really just question Who is Jesus? They were asking these intense, fundamental questions. People were confused by all these false teachings that culture and different groups were were promoting. And they were asking, like, what even is Christianity? I know that there's probably some of you here, you're newer, and you're wondering, what is Christianity even about? Is Jesus even essential to Christianity? Like, who am I? Who is Jesus? What is truth? And who has absolute authority? How do we actually know what's right and wrong? And who has the authority to tell us what that is? These were all questions that were being asked by a group of false teachers called the Gnostics. And these are still questions that are being asked today. And John leads off with a prologue, four verses that are reminiscent of his gospel account, which is his answer to all of these questions. And so let's see what he says. First John chapter one, verse one. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. All right, so let me just pause there. John begins this letter by giving us a defense of his friend Jesus that right off the bat, he kind of just stands up boldly, knowing that what he's about to share, many people are gonna disagree, there's gonna be people hunting him down because they don't believe these things about Jesus, but John stands up and he says, this letter, this world, all of our lives are about Jesus. And he says Jesus is eternal and he is God become a man. And if you look back when he says that which was from the beginning, All right, he's echoing what he already proclaimed in his gospel account that he wrote. Do you remember John chapter one? He said, in the beginning was the word. And then he says, the word became flesh and the word dwelt among us. He's simply saying, my friend Jesus is God. I've walked with him, I've hung out with him, I've heard him say that he's God, I watched his life show that he was God. And I know that some of you have been taught that Jesus actually never said that he was God. I want you to know that this is exactly what got Jesus killed. That if you watch his life and you trace it through the historical gospel records, Jesus repeatedly, openly, and publicly said that he was the only true God. And because of this, he was mocked, he was beaten, and he was eventually killed. And so make no mistake about it, when it comes to Jesus and his death, he was killed because he said, I am the only true God. And John is hitting the realism that there is a flesh and blood reality to God, and his name is Jesus and if you look back, he refers to him here as the word of life. Again, echoing back to John chapter one in the gospel, the creator, the eternal one, the one from the beginning, and he's saying, trust me. Remember the grandfather, trust me. I tell, when I'm telling you about Jesus, he says, I was there. I saw what he did. I heard what he said. I was there. And doctor, I'll tell you, this is so extremely relevant and pertinent today. Is there are many people who have opinions about Jesus but none were present and none were eyewitnesses and so people today they can postulate and speculate and hypothesize about the identity of Jesus but this is where an eyewitness account is so important John is saying look back I heard what Jesus said with my own ears I've seen him with my own eyes I've touched him with my own hands and so he's saying he's saying okay you can read You can read the historical accounts and you can read of the miracles of Jesus, you can read of his resurrection and feeding a bunch of people, you can read about all the things that he proclaimed, but he said, I saw it, I heard it, I was there. John says, I I talked with him, I hung out with him, I ate meals with him, even after he rose from the dead, I even double-checked, I ran to the tomb, I was the first one there, and he was gone. He's like, I saw it with my own eyes, and as he did this, he validated and vindicated every one of his claims of being God. And so I just need you to know that Jesus is not a philosophy. Jesus is not just an example. Jesus is not a legend, but Jesus is God. And the fact that Jesus is God, as John is proclaiming, this changes everything. Because if Jesus really is God, then everything he said is true, and if everything he said is true, this means that we have reason for great joy in celebration today, and it's all because of the gospel. And I wanna tell you what this is, because this is a word that we use a lot here at DOXA. We sing about the gospel, we preach about the gospel, but some of you here, you might not be sure what the gospel is. The gospel is that Jesus came for you to bring you to God. And here's the truth that you need to know. Look what Jesus says. In John 14 6 he says I am the way and the truth and the life no one comes to the Father except through me because this is the gospel this is the reason again if you're new and wondering why people have their hands in the air and why people are excited and why I'm jacked up and yelling and just like acting like I really love you because I actually do love you because the gospel is real this is the joy that we have And I wanna explain what the gospel is. The gospel is this, is that there is one God, and you are not him. And that God created everything, all creation, all of humanity. And as he created humanity, he created us to be in relationship with him, but instead of choosing God, we all chose sin. And sin is anything that God is not, and because of sin in our life, the result is, is that we are separated from God separated from God, which if it goes on forever, this is the terrible conscious reality of hell, just eternal separation from God. And as we're separated from God, we kind of live under the foolish myth that we are in fact our own God, where we decide what is right and wrong and true and false and good and bad, and we live as we please. But in the midst of that separation that we all have because of sin, that God lovingly comes into human history as the man Jesus Christ. And he lives a perfect life that I can't live he died the death that I should have died. And as he was killed and hung on a cross, he died the death that I should have died in my place. Jesus died in my place for my sin as my substitute. That in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they substituted themselves for God. And as Jesus died on the cross, he reversed that substitution by becoming a substitute for sinners, you and me. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that we love, the gospel that we sing, the gospel that we preach, the gospel we talk about, the gospel that we celebrate. This is the gospel that we can never sway from, no matter what the world might say and what people might say about Jesus. This is the truth of God. And this is good news, amen? I mean, the only way we know this is true, though, it's not because we have figured something out because we're really spiritual or smart, but it's because of what John shares here about Jesus. It's only because of Jesus, his death and resurrection, that we know this is true. And so let me just pause on this and say this. Maybe you're here, and you're not sure on the identity and reality of Jesus. That maybe you're here, and you're in a place where you're, you're knowing the historical reality, that there is a historical man named Jesus that was, existed, and he walked on this earth, but wondering, man, was he really God? And you're asking, like, was he just a man? Was he just a legend? Was he just like some super spiritual guy that said some crazy things? You're asking those questions. This is the same questions that were going on as John was writing this letter. People were confused. They were questioning the identity of Jesus. And if you're asking those questions, keep asking those questions. We love asking questions. But let me ask you this. Who are you going to trust more than John? Because just think about that. For those of you who are are not Christians and you're here, I love that you're here. It wasn't that many years ago that I was in a place like this, not believing, asking those questions. It's my honor, one of my highest honors to teach you the Bible today. But if you would say, like I disagree with John's perspective on Jesus, I have to ask you, do you have a more credible source than John? Like who are you listening to that has spent more time with Jesus? Because the reality is, it's impossible to have anyone provide more insight regarding Jesus than his best friend John, who is an eyewitness to all that Jesus said and did. And every time that I can do this, I'm always going to do it, but you need to know that the Bible is a historical book. It's not primarily a religious book, or a spiritual book, or a philosophical book, or a moralistic book, but it's a book rooted in actual history. And the historical reliability of the Bible has stood the test of time in just intense academic scrutiny. And as John begins talking about Jesus and the impact that he has on our lives and throughout the world, he says, here's what's happening. Here's what he said. Here's what he did. I saw it all. And he roots it in history. And he said, because this is true, we can trust all that he says and we can trust his gospel. And the interesting part, guys, when you look at John's life, John believed this to his core, and he was hunted down. I mean, do you know that at one point he kept talking about Jesus, and people didn't like Jesus, and so they boiled him alive in oil, but he lived through it, and he got out of the oil and kept talking about Jesus, his best friend, and then they got mad at him again, and they forced him to drink poison, and he lived through that and kept talking about Jesus. And then they finally got so fed up with him that they put him on this little island, terrible conditions called Patmos, alone, just to get him over there. You want to talk about Jesus? You can do it to yourself, right? Just they put him there to die. He would not stop talking. And if you look and study the history of the early church, this is the story of so many of the early Christians. They were all killed, going to their grave, confessing Jesus Christ as Lord because they saw it. And they were convinced that he is God because he is. Now look at verse 3. John continues saying, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, so again, John is saying, I'm telling you this because Jesus is real. Jesus is God, and I want you to have what I have. And maybe you're here in like you're wondering like, why is this guy getting so amped up? Is he yelling, he doesn't seem angry? I'm not angry, I'm excited, because I have this passion that you would know Jesus like I know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus with everything that I have, and this is what John is saying. He's like, I want you to have what I have, and if you look back, what does John have? His fellowship, and this is one of those weird things that Christians say, right, like we're gonna have some sweet fellowship tonight, right, and we're gonna, you think a potluck, or like a cup of coffee, or something weird, right? But what fellowship, the root meaning of fellowship is a deep sharing of things in common. And used by the New Testament, fellowship means that all Christians share and celebrate two things, Jesus Christ and salvation. And faith in Jesus is what brings about salvation, and that places us in fellowship with other Christians. And so all people in our world can have friendships with other people but only believers in Christ can share and celebrate genuine fellowship with one another. And that word fellowship really has two foci. You can think about the horizontal and the vertical. And John teaches us that fellowship is is not just with one another. It's not just like a horizontal thing. But if you look back, it's also with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, the vertical. And this is so important. All right, somebody here needs to understand this today. See, Since the beginning, humanity has tried every trick in the bag of philosophy and religion to kind of bridge the chasm between God and man. But you need to know that the only bridge that will get you to God is Jesus. That some of you right now, you're running around so crazily, and you're doing the religious thing, you're doing the the moralistic thing, you're doing the philanthropy thing, you're giving, you're trying to make yourself better. And that is fine for making yourself feel better about yourself and other people looking at you and saying, wow, you're really changing your life. But that does nothing to build a bridge to God. It's religion. The only way is Jesus, that no amount of religion, no amount of of good work, no amount of you trying really, really hard will ever get you to God. John says, it's only Jesus. And this is what we are created for. You're created to have Jesus as a friend. And I know that some of you, you're here because you feel that there's something missing in your life. And you're trying to fill it with success and money and relationships and sex, you name it. You're trying to fill it with so many different things and you're not finding it. I want you to know it's this. We're created to be friends of God. But because of sin in our life and in our world... We can't be until we come to Jesus in faith and he takes our sin. And this is John's purpose in writing. In everything that we'll hear from him over the next 10 weeks, it's about fellowship. That John desperately wants us all to have fellowship with Jesus just like he had because this changes everything. It changes everything about your today, everything about your tomorrow, and everything about your eternity. Now look at the last verse in this section. Verse 4, John says, and we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And here's what he's talking about. All right, there's, there's clearly joy through learning the gospel message and, and seeing the, that Jesus brings us to God and takes our sin. Anybody have some joy because of the gospel? Okay, that was not very compelling. Maybe you come to Jesus today and have some joy, okay? But there's joy in that. There's joy when we believe. But in addition to this, I want you to hear me on this. We find deep joy when others discover the gospel of Jesus. See, one of the things that I've been praying that we all discover is the joy of helping other people find Jesus. That part of your joy that is missing if you're not sharing the gospel with people. Your joy is unfulfilled because you're not sharing the gospel. John is writing and he's filled with joy because he's sharing the gospel. Doxa, there's nothing better than coming alongside of someone and showing them Jesus, giving them Jesus, helping them to come to Jesus. This is what it's all about. And I need you to know you're just missing out on full joy if you're not giving away Jesus, and your fear is keeping you from actually experiencing joy. Joy. John is saying, you know what makes God just elated. You know what moves his father heart is that when people have friendship with Jesus and they come to Jesus and they find salvation in Jesus and hope in Jesus and transformation in Jesus and then that binds them together with others and they find fellowship in joy and then they live in such a way in the everyday stuff of life that everybody around them starts to see a little bit of more joy, a little bit more love and they learn about the love of Jesus and they come to Jesus. This is what makes the Father's heart joyful and burst and this is what makes our heart joyful and burst. It's people meeting Jesus. This is why this church exists. Make no mistake. It's not because I just needed like a side gig, right? Or like, this is, you know, a good career. Let's just start a church. We want people to meet Jesus. And so if you don't know Jesus today, I want you to know that there is no friend. There is no one like Jesus. Jesus will never deny you. Jesus will never abandon you. Jesus will never get sick of you. Jesus will never push you away. And the more and more, the longer and longer I walk with Jesus, I can tell you that there's no one like him. There's no one like Jesus. And you can have him as a friend if you would just lay down your pride, lay down your sin, and just come to him and say, take it. Give me your righteousness. And you will experience joy come to Jesus this is ultimately what first John is all about John is focused on Jesus and his joy and his salvation and the fellowship that he gives and so let me end with this speaking of this joy all right, there's a man named Martin Lloyd-Jones he summarizes the joy of which John is speaking of like this and I quote joy is something very deep and profound Something that affects the whole and entire personality. In other words, it comes to this there's only one thing that can give true joy, and that is contemplation of the Lord Jesus Christ. He satisfies my mind, He satisfies my emotions, He satisfies my every desire. He and His great salvation include the whole personality and nothing less, and in Him I am complete. Joy, in other words, is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Doc, so what we're going to do is we're just going to set our minds on Jesus now, singing of his glory, reminding ourselves of his goodness and his godness, and as we do this, the prayer that we would experience this joy that would just not just cause us to sing and hear, but to live in obedience out there for the glory of God and the good of the world. So I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to pray and then we'll we'll sing. Father, I, I love you. I thank you for this church. I thank you for Jesus. Jesus, that you have changed my life. As I think about John's story, I just think about I don't literally know where I would be if it wasn't for you intervening in love in my life. And so, Holy Spirit, would you, even in this moment, remind us of the gospel? Would you remind us of the first time we heard the saving message of Jesus and said, yes? Would you remind us of how sweet those words sounded? Like, take us back to that moment right now. help us to understand your gospel. Give us just a fresh revelation of it that we can be filled with joy and worship you. And God, it's our prayer that many, many people would come to know Jesus because this church exists. That they would experience joy, that they would have fellowship with us. This is a work that only you can do. So just help us to be faithful and we just ask you and trust you to move. In Jesus' name. Amen.